It's time to play like a jet with your host, Scott Mason. Play like a jet. What does that mean? Drops the throw, steps up, floats a bomb up the right seam, looking for Anderson. He's got it. They're not going to catch him. He's going to go the distance. Touchdown. Sam Darnold dials it up to Robbie Anderson. 92 yards. Bell into the middle of that line, and it's a touchdown. Big return for Crowder, 85 yards. Pass thrown, there was contact with the quarterback, and it's incomplete. They got pressure on Prescott. It was Adams who came blitzing in. He'll hit immediately when he got the handoff. You know that's <laughs> the Q-inator. Oh my gosh. Listen, thank you. From the TOJ Digital Studios, this is Play Like a Jet. My name is Scott Mason. You can follow me on Twitter at PlayLikeAJet1. And it is the weekend, which means we've got the weekend mailbag. And then tomorrow, we will also have the pregame report. But we will start the mailbag, which will be part one, because part of the pregame report will be part two of the mailbag. With the owner, the operator, the lead reporter, the whole shebang over at JetsInsider.com. And of course, above all that, a very big deal, Mr. Chris Nimbley. Chris... I know that it was a little bit much, and I'm sorry, and I probably shouldn't have posted it on Twitter too, but when you call me two days after the fact and tell me that you can't do a podcast, I have to stick to our agreement and levy that fine. $40,000 might be a little much, and I probably shouldn't have put it out there for other people to see, but I had to set an example, and the rules are the rules, Chris. This is unacceptable, um, but, you know, I get it. <laughs> uh, with, but I, you know, I just I didn't think we'd have anything to talk about today. There's there's no news or anything to talk about. Um, nothing you know exciting or interesting or different than any other day has, has ever happened, right? Oh, we didn't see an attempted murder on a football field or anything like that, did we? Oh yeah, there was there was that. That's true. <laughs> Let's talk about that real quick because it's not Jets related. What Miles Garrett did is absolutely inexcusable. He should be suspended the rest of the season. And quite frankly, if he had connected the wrong way with Mason Rudolph, he might have killed him. So for anybody that's defending what Miles Garrett did, I don't know why you're defending him. I'm not going to go as far as to say that he should be kicked out of the league, but he should absolutely be suspended the rest of the season. That is one of the most insane things I've ever seen on a football field. And I've seen a lot of insane things on a football field. Yeah, um... I was talking to you about this beforehand. It reminded me, obviously, that it ended up much differently. It didn't go into the fans, but it reminded me of the malice of the palace with Ron Artest. Just the way that I just, I was just shocked. I was caught off guard, and I couldn't stop watching it over and over again as it happened. And I was just thinking, oh, this is all anyone's going to talk about for the next couple of weeks. Um, I don't have a very strong take on how much he needs to be suspended for. But I, 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 whatever they decide, I'm good with uh, because you just cannot have that. And, you know, I've also seen a bunch of people saying a pouncey shouldn't get any uh, punishment suspension. I listen, I what he did as a person, as a man, I have no problem with what pouncey did. But the NFL cannot allow him to kick somebody in the head, no matter what the reason is, without suspension there. Obviously, nowhere near what uh, Miles Garrett gets suspension-wise. Um, and and lost in this, he obviously didn't deserve to get hit in the head with his own helmet. But Mason Rudolph played a part in setting this off as well. 
But when you rip somebody's helmet off and swinging at them as a weapon, yeah, that can't be defended. Uh, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm not sitting here uh, talking about and anybody's too soft because he people are criticizing him for it. That's absurd. He swung his helmet. If he hit him with the top of that helmet, it could have gotten extremely ugly. So uh, I'm not saying he needs to be suspended for a certain amount of time, but whatever they give him, I'm good with. I think that's pretty fair. I think that the rest of the season seems like a suitable punishment to me. If they even stretch it out a little bit into next season, that's fine too. I wouldn't ban him from the league. I don't think he should go to jail, although I do understand that it was an assault. But if we go down that road, especially when we're talking about football, it's going to be very uncomfortable territory because there's going to be a lot of stuff that could be construed as an assault and could result in prison time if we went down that road. So I would say a suspension the rest of the season and maybe carrying into next season would be appropriate for what happened. But yeah, you absolutely cannot have that. Let's talk about something Jets related, though, that was a little off the wall. And that, of course, is what we alluded to at the beginning of the show. The whole bit that we did about me finding you for telling me late about not doing podcasts was obviously a riff on what happened with Quincy Inunua. If you didn't see this, the short version of this is essentially Quincy Inunua was supposed to do some rehab sessions and he wasn't there. He let them know after the fact instead of ahead of time. The reason for it is because he had an emergency at his house and the other time was for Veterans Day. He took his wife, who happens to be a veteran, out for lunch. So this is one of those things where I think if the Jets were a better team, fans wouldn't be reacting the way they're reacting necessarily. They're all jumping on the Jets and racing to Quincy's defense. I'm going to take a nuanced position here. I think both parties were wrong, but in different ways. Quincy obviously was wrong here for not letting the team know ahead of time. He knew the rules and he knew he was going to be fined if he did this. That said, the Jets did not need to make it this excessive. $40,000 seems a bit much, especially for a guy who literally broke his neck playing football for your team and whose career is in limbo. And Chris, as you were saying before we started recording, you have to think there's a strong chance the Jets are going to try and get out of this contract at the end of the season. So to nickel and dime a guy like this before you're going to try and basically screw him is really shady on top of everything else. I also don't like the fact that they posted this publicly for the rest of the team to see. I get that that's a gaze thing, but this really is not necessary. And I also think that especially with what's gone on with Coleccio Semele, with Jamal Adams, with even Luke Falk, who had the grievance filed against the Jets, and you have all these injuries and you have all these problems with Adam Gase to begin with, this is not something you need right now to continue muddying the waters, especially with one of the most respected players in the locker room, somebody who is one of the longest tenured Jets. The only two Jets left from the John Idzik era, and they're probably going to be gone soon, unfortunately, are Quincy Nunwa and Brian Winters. They're both out for the season. The only other one that was here from before that era is Bilal Pal. He'll probably be gone too. But this just seemed to me like an instance of Adam Gase not understanding that appearances matter when you have all of this stuff building up because it creates a pattern and people will see it. Not just fans, not just media, but also the players on the team, a lot of whom, from what I understand, he's already alienated. This reminds me a lot of when Eric Mangini got to Cleveland and he liked to bring some of his old players with him. One of them was Abram Elam, who you remember from the Jets. 
And at one point, Abram Elam took something out of a mini bar during training camp, and Mangini fined him something like $5,000, which is absolutely absurd. There's no reason to fine a guy $5,000 for doing something like that. 500 bucks, sure, send the message. But that was another instance of somebody who I think didn't understand that you need to earn the player's respect before you start doing stuff like that. My joke is always, if you want to act like Bill Belichick, you got to win like Bill Belichick and you got to earn players respect like Bill Belichick first. That was something that doomed Mangini. It's something that doomed Gase in Miami and it's not doing him any favors so far here in New York. Yeah, and this is one of those, you know, both or all things can be true here. Listen, I, I am biased here because Quincy Anunwa is one of my favorite people to cover in that locker room. Uh, he, he is a really good guy. He is loved and respected by his teammates. And I saw a lot of people's reaction to this uh, was, well, Quincy's going public with this, and Quincy doesn't do stuff like this, so that makes them lean towards Quincy. Well, what I'm going to tell you is – that the players in that locker room love and respect Quincy so much that they're pro- sitting there telling him that they think this is messed up. So he sat there and it made him feel some type of way. And that's probably what led to him tweeting this out, um, tweeting his frustrations out. And I totally understand his frustrations. But at the same time, this is the NFL. And when you have fines for things, and you do something to violate that and get the fine, you're going to get fined. NFL is very letter of the law with this type of stuff. NFL teams all around the league, if you do something that's against rules, you're going to get punished and fined for it. Now, the you know the home emergency situation, may, maybe we don't know what that emergency was. So if it's something that legitimately happened and stopped him from being able to get there and even get to a phone – then, yeah, maybe you could forgive that. Taking his wife out for a Veterans Day dinner, he had to know that beforehand. So mm-hmm. he could have just picked up the phone and tried to clear that beforehand. And then if they find him afterwards, then, yes, you'd have a real case. But he, he admitted that he didn't do that. He just kind of blew it off and then called them later to let him know. Well, you're going to get fined for that. Now, you can take up a problem with Adam Gase. Uh, having his fine structure and making it public. This is something he did in Miami. It rubbed people wrong in Miami. It's obviously rubbing people wrong here. Um, Obviously, like you said, the Coleccio Assembly, the Luke Falk situation plays into this. You can even probably say Brian Winters because of that. It sounds like Brian Winters was dealing with the same exact thing Coleccio Assembly was dealing with. He was playing through injury and playing through injury and playing and playing and playing, and now it got to the point where he can't play anymore, so his season's over. Um, so this this looks bad for Gase, but again, if if you violate a rule and you break a rule in the NFL, you are going to get fined. Having an excuse afterwards is not going to clear that up. But I do get Quincy voicing his frustration because – other players are sitting here letting them know and thinking that this is messed up. You shouldn't be, they shouldn't be doing this. And it made them feel some type of way. Um, so I get it. All things are true. All things are wrong, but this is a messy situation. And this strategy by Gase leads itself to this. But again, it, especially the dinner thing, if Quincy picked up the phone beforehand then that that's probably a different story. Doing it afterwards, you're going to get fined. 
But the the one thing, like you said, he he broke his neck. The second time he's had a neck injury. They and they are going to look to move on from him after the season and get out of this contract. So to be hitting him up for twenty thousand dollar fines on each thing, that seem that does seem a bit ridiculous. When and it's not like it's one thing you miss a meeting to prepare for a game. Mm-hmm. Like you know you're you're coming to work. You're still working. He, he's not doing anything contributing to the team right now. His job is to get healthy. So like his his missing a treatment isn't going to set the team back in any type of way. You could kind of let that stuff slide or at least not find him so heavily or at least not make it so public. There's so many different ways this could have been handled. Um, and it's, it's just a big giant mess, but this is what this strategy of doing it. And I saw a bunch of people saying he's trying to change the culture yet. Yeah, no, he's not. He's, he's, this is that fake, uh, do it tough guy, do it my way. This is the same stuff Freddie Kitchens was doing all off season. Mm -hmm. And look at where that's got the Browns. This doesn't uh, uh, instill discipline on people. We're dealing with grown adults here. This isn't like military school with troubled teenagers. Like you're dealing with adults uh, and uh, sometimes, oftentimes millionaires. Like you you have to be reasonable with this stuff. Um, and if, if, if this did such a great job of changing the culture, why was the culture in Miami so bad? Why is the culture such a mess right now? That that's a a weak argument for it. But again, Quincy is not, um, to be absolved here. It's not like he's, he did absolutely nothing wrong. Now wrong is, you know, sliding scale here. But he violated a rule, and in the NFL, on any team, you violate a rule, you're going to get punished. Proportionate response is really what I think this comes down to. It reminds me of <clears throat> the joke about if somebody goes up to Mike Tyson in a bar and pushes him. Now, obviously, Mike Tyson could kill that person, but Mike Tyson's got to know that the response to somebody giving him a light shove shouldn't be a haymaker to the face that's going to put that person in the emergency room. Quincy Inunua, what he did, yeah, it deserves something. He should have been fine, but I don't think he needed to be fined this excessively. And also, on top of that, I don't think that Gase's system of putting this stuff up so people can see it is necessary at all. And like you said, Chris, I wouldn't be surprised in the least if a bunch of the other players came up to Quincy and told him privately that they thought that this was BS. This, to me, shows you the difference, though, between guys like Bill Belichick or even somebody like Bruce Arians, who recently released Vernon Hargraves III, and somebody like Adam Gase. Adam Gase is somebody who acts like the players respect him, who has to, as you said put out this false bravado whereas Bruce Arians legitimately has respect based on what he's done in the NFL and based on who he is and how he carries himself so when Bruce Arians says you either give me full hustle or you're out of here and then he turns around and cuts Vernon Hargraves people take notice because that's what he said he was going to do that's what he's always been known for doing and he carried through with it and with Gase, he hasn't earned that yet. Like I said, Gase is trying to be Bill Belichick, Bill Barcells, even somebody like Bruce Arians, without having earned that right yet. And he has to understand that you've got to earn the player's trust and respect. 
and you've got to win and prove that you belong before you start acting this way. This my way or the highway stuff, it only works when you can command that kind of respect and he just doesn't have it right now. Let's jump into the mailbag now. And our first question comes in from Sean Stalker. He says, Scott and the very big deal, Chris Nimbley, after spending five months up close with Gase and Christopher Johnson, do you think Joe Douglas ever wakes up in the morning and wonders what the hell he got himself into? As a fan, I always do. But as the very big deal points out, I made that decision when I was a stupid kid and didn't know any better. <laughs> Douglas was a grown man and still did this to himself. <laughs> if you take anything away from I, what I have ever said, that's that's the thing to take away. <laughs> we are all dumb as kids. <laughs> Sean, this is why we love you. So here's my answer to that. I think there are probably moments where Douglas shakes his head and says, what did I do? Why am I here? But at the same time, he had to know what he was getting into. I'm sure he asked around and understood what the reputation of the Johnsons was. He knows Adam Gase, so he knew what Gase was like. He also knew that it was going to be tumultuous early on. Maybe not this tumultuous because there have been more injuries than anybody would have expected. And on top of that, there's been more losing than people expected because most people thought this team would go 7-9 and nine and 9-7. Nine and seven. That doesn't look like it's going to happen right now. So I'm sure he has his days where he wakes up and says, man, why did I leave Philly? But overall, I'm sure coming in here, he realized that the job ahead of him was going to be tough, that he was going to have a Herculean task to get done. And he's going to approach it that way in the offseason. He knew coming in he had to fix the offensive line. He knew coming in he was going to have to fix the corners. He knew coming in he was going to have to fix the edge rusher situation. He knew coming in that he was going to still need to add at least one weapon to the passing game. So not a ton has changed. I think that there are moments in private where Douglas probably takes a deep breath and counts to 10 to calm himself down. But in reality, he knew what he was getting into. And I don't think that at this point he wants out or anything like that. I think he just wants to get to January where he can start to really make his mark on the team. Unless he's uh, a robot disguised as a human being uh, or, you know, some type of alien lizard creature uh, disguised as a human being, he he has to have had those moments because we've all had those moments this year, just like you said, (laughs) with the injuries, just like, uh, oh, We've had all these injuries. Oh, and now Brian Winters, Chris Herndon are out for the year too. Chris Herndon, who played for that one game. Like, it's just one thing after another. And then you have the Osemele stuff, the Quincy stuff, Luke Falk, uh, all this stuff. He's had to have a, a few moments where he's just like, oh, my God, what did I get myself into? But at the end of the day, those checks still clear. And he's got those checks coming for another five years after that. And he is not going to be looking to turn down those checks. Uh, He knows that he has, with that six-year deal, he's going to get at least two more years, probably another three more years after this to to build this around. And he's going to have faith that he will be able to get it. So he's probably sitting there thinking, okay, this first year might be a little tougher than I thought, especially with the injuries we have. But, you know, it's going to be rough, but we're going to get through this and get this turned around. But uh, unless he's not human, he, he's had to have had those moments. How long those moments last, probably not too long, because, again, those checks still clear. While sports can bring us so much joy, it can also bring us a lot of unwanted stress. And that stress can make it difficult to concentrate, relax, and get decent sleep. Sunday Scaries was launched in 2017 by two best friends and business partners, Bo Schmidt and Mike Sill. 
They operated a full-service bar with 50 employees and were always exhausted. They tried all kinds of products, but they didn't work. Then they started experimenting with CBD. They loved the effects and regained control of their days and nights, but they wanted better CBD products. So what they did for themselves was specially formulate CBD gummies with vitamins D3 and B12 that were super consumable, easy to take on the go, and effective. Long story short, their specially formulated CBD products and vitamins helped relieve the overwhelming angst they felt on a daily basis. So in July 2017, they named the company Sunday Scaries and began sharing their products with friends and launched their online store at sundayscaries.com. With tens of thousands of customers, monthly subscribers, and a 100% money-back guarantee, Sunday Scaries has always been on a mission to transform a worrisome nation into a chill one. And right now, we have a bonus for you. Get 25% off all products at sundayscaries.com when you use the code OVERTIME. Again, 25% off all products at sundayscaries.com when you use the code OVERTIME. Hey guys, this is Greg Peterson, host of the podcast Hooping with Hoops. Despite the fact that college basketball is in the offseason, it's never too early to get a jump start on taking a look at these teams because there is now 357 of them for the upcoming 2020-2021 college basketball season. I'm going to give you guys a deep dive on every last one of them, keep up with all the transfers in college basketball, and so much more. You are able to subscribe to Hooping with Hoops on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you get your podcasts. Play like a jet. Play like a jet. Next question comes in from Steve Schiffenhaus. He says, while he has plenty of time to develop into a force, is it safe to say that at this point in the season, Quinn and Williams has been a disappointment as the number three overall pick? Injury notwithstanding, someone drafted at that high of a spot is expected to make an immediate impact. And we've been asked a lot about this by other people too. Rodimus Prime asked about this as well and a couple of others. So let's talk about this, Chris. Jamal Westerman was on the podcast yesterday and you heard him talk about this from the perspective of somebody who plays a similar position and has for most of his adult life. He's done it in the pros for the last 10 years, three of those for the Jets from 2009 to 2011, where he became the most recent Jet to sack Tom Brady. Not once, Chris, not once, but twice in a single game. I have to throw that in every time I mention Jamal now, but... A lot of this comes down to a variety of circumstances that are working against Quinn and Williams. And I know a lot of people are going to say that this is an excuse. So I'll say this right off of the bat. Yes, in some ways, he's been disappointing for somebody that was picked number three overall. You do expect more flash plays from a player picked that high. However, let's keep in mind a couple of things. And John Butchko from Gangrene Nation did a really good job of describing this in an article that he wrote. In addition to what Jamal said on the podcast, so if you haven't listened to what Jamal said, go back and listen to the podcast from yesterday and you'll hear it very clearly. Quinn and Williams has been deployed in a very odd way by Greg Williams. I think a lot of it is to make up for the deficiency at linebacker. So he's been stunting Quinn and Williams a lot. And what that means is that he's been using him to take on extra blockers. So he's lining him up and having him take on two and three guys. And as an example of the impact that he's having that is quote-unquote hidden production because of the fact that Williams is using him this way, Against the Giants, there was one particular play where Quinn and Williams took on three blockers, which essentially gave Nathan Shepard a free shot at Daniel Jones, which he cashed in on for a sack. And there have been a bunch of those type of plays. I think, as Jamal said on the podcast yesterday, 
that Greg Williams should start to use Quinn and Williams more lined up one-on-one with guards and in situations where he's in a position to win and to make more impact plays. We saw what happened when he had that shot at Daniel Jones. He forced what should have been ruled a fumble. We saw what happened against Ryan Fitzpatrick against Miami when he had that explosive sack. But the deployment and usage here by Greg Williams has not really been a friend to Quinn and Williams in terms of being able to make those splash plays. Now, I understand why Williams is doing it because he's kind of desperate right now. He's got third string linebackers in there. He's got third string cornerbacks in there, and he's just doing whatever he can to try and free people up to make plays. So if that means having Quinn and Williams take on two and three guys and freeing up stuff for Nathan Shepard and freeing up stuff for Foley Fadakasi and freeing stuff up for Jamal Adams, then that's what he's going to do. It's kind of the same way that you'll see sometimes a quarterback in college where he's a pro prospect, but he's not doing things that translate to the pro level. And you say, why is the coach doing that? He's hurting that guy's growth into the pros. And then you think about it and realize, well, that coach has a job to do. He's got to win games. And so he's way more concerned about winning a game than making sure that such and such player is ready for the professional level. And I think that's part of it with Quinn and Williams. I also think that there could be some lingering effects from the ankle. But yes, he has not produced the type of splash plays that you would like from the number three overall pick to this point. I'm curious to see how that changes or if it does change at all over the last seven games of the season. Obviously, this is also a marathon, not a sprint. So it's possible to have a season like Calais Campbell had his first year with the Arizona Cardinals where he had zero sacks. And then look at what happened. He went on to become one of the best interior linemen in the sport over the next decade. We'll see what happens, but I think that the usage and deployment has been a big part of this, and it's very possible that he isn't as explosive at the moment because he came back from that ankle sprain and just doesn't have that burst right now that you're used to seeing. Yeah, there's no doubt that when you take a player at the number three overall spot that you would have hoped to got a little more more out of him. And now I know fans aren't going to like this, but this is the Leonard Williams discussion all over again. Um, I haven't been on Twitter all week, uh, so I, I didn't hear, uh, you, you know, your podcast with Jamal, but Jamal is an excellent person to talk about this with because Jamal played, uh, kind of the similar role that I always talk about that Bart Scott played with, uh, whether it was in Baltimore or here or Bart Scott would go in to, to, to occupy, blockers to occupy offensive linemen to, so Ray Lewis could run free and untouched and when he was here he did the same thing to go occupy offensive linemen so David Harris could go untouched to make the tackle um what you're seeing I went back and I watched a bunch of uh Quentin Williams the, the all 22 of Quentin, Quentin Williams here and you see him being used and deployed two gapping a lot mm-hmm. where he's mm-hmm. just he is lined up face to face shoulder to shoulder with an offensive lineman and he's playing both gaps both gaps on the side he's responsible for anybody coming through that and but really his job isn't to go and make a play and beat that offensive mm-hmm. lineman it's just to occupy him and free up those lanes for somebody else to come in. Um, you, know, you you mentioned Nathan Shepard getting a sack for that. And you can also look at uh, Josh Allen and down in Jacksonville, and you look at how he's getting his sacks. He's getting his sacks because 
of Calais Campbell and Giannis Ngakwe doing that same thing, and then he gets to come free and get create those sacks. So while you, you look there and you're not seeing the numbers in the stat sheet, it, it, it is kind of, you know, I feel like there needs to be a stat sheet or a new stat created, like kind of like a hockey assist or something. Because if you're blocking somebody and that uh, getting that attention and that creates a wide open hole for Nathan Shepard to go through and get the sack, it's almost, you should get a little bit of credit for that. Um, I, so I know fans aren't going to want to hear this because this is the Leonard Williams discussion all over again, and it's going to get frustrating. And you're not going to, but again, we've we've talked about this before about you know the year Michael Strahan got the record for sacks. That's like two percent of his sack uh, of his snap totals. So you you can't just look at sacks. I don't understand how people can keep watching football for so long and still think sacks is the only thing that matters here. There's so much more to it. Now it's his rookie year. You're going to want to see that uh, improve and grow on from there. Uh, Obviously, if this continues to be the case throughout his career, then it's going to be a disappointment. Uh, Just like with Leonard Williams at a certain point, if you're drafted that high, you have to take the, you know, not even Aaron Donald step, but the Calais Campbell step, the uh, Fletcher Cox step, the Gerald McCoy step, to be able to do that and still make plays. And right now he's just doing what he's being asked to do. But if you watch the All-22 of it and you see it, you can see very clearly that he is being told to do something because nobody goes through – trying to beat somebody one-on-one by just going straight at them heads up like that. Mm -hmm. That's a very clear and obvious to-get responsibility there. That's very obvious. And if that's what he's being asked to do, then that's what he's being asked to do, and that's all you can really expect out of him. Like I said, I'm curious to see if his deployment and usage changes. I have a feeling that it will at some point, if not this season, then going forward. But I think that that is a big part of why you're not seeing those splash plays like Chris just described. A lot of two-gapping, a lot of stunting, and he's being asked to play that role. A lot of the reason is because it's making up for the injuries and the fact that they need somebody to be that guy. Once they have a healthy C.J. Mosley, once they have improved edge rushers, I think you may see a different story. But for now, he's doing what Greg Williams is telling him to do, and it's not producing the type of splash plays that we'd like to see, but it is filling a role on the team as nondescript as it may be. Greg Williams can't sit here and focus on developing him. He needs to try to do the best to keep his job. So, it, like, he, he, you could sit there and just say, develop him into this. But why is he going to develop him into something or take time to do that and worry about a couple years down the line when he might not be here to coach that? So he needs to do what's best for this defense now. It's just like, <laughs> you know, quarterbacks in college that the uh, coaches – don't really develop to get ready to play at the next level because that's not their job. Their job is to win the games in college. So that's what it is with Greg, and it, it, it's kind of hard to really knock him for that now. But obviously fans are going to want to hope to see more, and I do think you will get there. But right now his responsibility is what it is, and there's only so much you can do within that responsibility. 
Hey guys, Greg Peterson here with the Baseball Betting Podcast. As we know, the MLB season is back in our lives. It's going to be a 60-game sprint unlike anything that we've ever seen before. And I'm going to be giving you picks every single day, seven days a week with Major League Baseball. We're also going to be keeping up with the KBO as well. If you like baseball and you like being able to make some money, subscribe to the Baseball Betting Podcast with Greg Peterson on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you get your podcasts. Play like a jet. Play like a jet. Next question comes in from Goodnight Delights. He says, Christopher Johnson insists Gase is some offensive genius, but wasn't he just the Dowell Loggins to Peyton Manning? (laughs) (laughs) Here's the thing with Adam Gase. I don't know that I would say he's necessarily an offensive genius. I also don't think he's a moron when it comes to offense. I think some people have gotten a little carried away. Chris and I talked about this a lot. I talked about this with Joe Blewett. I've talked about this with Travis Wingfield from Locked On Dolphins. The big problem with Gase is everything beyond the play calling. Now, we could have our problems with Gase's offense or the way he calls plays. That's fine. But that's the least of your issues. The major issues are the fact that he is a terrible manager, as this Quincy Enuma thing demonstrates once again. So I don't think that he's necessarily an offensive genius, but I also do think that he knows offense fairly well. I think sometimes he overthinks himself and has to be the smartest guy in the room instead of just doing what's working. And I also think that he has a lot of trouble adjusting, which we've seen many, many times throughout this season. And also the three years that he's with the Dolphins, that was one thing that you heard from Travis is that if things weren't going according to script, Gase didn't know how to fix it. So that's a problem. But I do think that Gase knows how to scheme guys to get open. It's just a matter of adjusting when the other team catches on. And sometimes he's stubborn and tries things that he doesn't need to try as opposed to just sticking with what's working. So I got this. I think I got this. Uh, Adam Gase is the Andy Dalton of coaches. <laughs> and if you give him a great roster and everything perfect around him, he will look like a good coach drawing up good plays. If everything is not perfect, he's it's going to look lost and dysfunctional at times. Um, that that's what it what it is. Uh, if if he's working with deficiencies and weaknesses, he's not going to be able to figure out all types of ways to scheme around that and draw up things around that. But if everything's good and perfect, then it's going to work. And that's Andy Dalton. Like when the Bengals had the best offensive line in football, when they had um, a healthy AJ green and uh, Tate and uh, all these good players, Andy Dalton looks like a good, a good serviceable quarterback. And you could still watch him and be like, yeah, he's not that great. Everything's just great around him. But it, it got the job done. It was good enough. But now when everything falls apart around him, the offensive line's not there. AJ Green's hurt. Uh, hey, all of a sudden he gets kind of exposed. And that's what Adam Gase is as a head coach. Uh, if, if he has to – cover up a bunch of weaknesses and stuff, it's not going to work. We saw that in Miami. We're, we're seeing that here. But if you give him a a really good, solid team, great team all around him, then no one's going to be really knocking him about his play call and, and this, that stuff. And this is something that happens all the time. Uh, and even I do it where I will criticize a coach for play calling. But <clears throat> more often than not, it's all about the execution. Mm-hmm. If, uh, if the play call is executed, no one's going to have a, a complaint about it. 
when the play call is not executed over and over and over again, then it's the play calling's the problem. Um, so that can be a tricky line to, to walk. But I'm I'm gonna I I like this. I, I, I just as you were talking, it popped in my head, <laughs> and I'm gonna run with it. Adam Gase is the Andy Dalton of coaches. Adam Dalton, Andy Gase. I don't know which one yeah. do you like better, Chris? I like I like I like Adam Dalton. Yeah, I do too, because it sounds like a guy who inherited his wealth from his billionaire father, and now he just sails on yachts and goes to exotic islands and stuff. There you go. Yeah, let's let's go with that. Adam Adam Dalton. Feels like a character that you could base a novel or some sort of movie around. I like it. Next yeah. question comes in from Mark. He says, advice on how to address the crumbling mental health of the average Jets fan. Should we have new hobbies? Maybe pick a new team? Are there any medications you can recommend? So I'm not recommending any medications because I am certainly in no position to be doing that. As far as how to (laughs) address the mental health of the average Jets fan, I'm going to say something that's not going to be a super popular opinion to some people, but I'm going to say it anyway. As a longtime Jets fan and season ticket holder myself, this is just the reality. If you want to preserve your mental health, you have to just accept reality. What I mean by that is the Jets are going to do what they're going to do, and you have no say over that. Christopher Johnson and more importantly Woody Johnson own this team they are the ones that are going to decide who the coach is they're the ones that are going to decide who the general manager is they are the ones that are going to veto certain decisions if they decide that they're not in line with what they want beyond that Joe Douglas is the general manager Adam Gase is the coach what they're going to do is what they're going to do we can complain we can get angry and we can certainly voice our frustrations but at the end of the day we have no power to control anything so the only thing that we can do as fans is either go along for the ride and hope for the best and yes of course we can complain when things go wrong and we can cheer when things go right but ultimately we still have no control over what actually happens Or you can decide to walk away, which I totally understand. There are people talking about that. But if you're going to do that, the only real way that you can have any impact is if you're a season ticket holder, give up your season tickets. If you're somebody that spends money on tickets or merchandise or anything like that, don't do that anymore. That's really the only power that you have. You have the power of a consumer because fans are not shareholders. They're customers. So the only power that the fan has is the power of the wallet. I think the only thing that would really influence ownership in any market way is if a ton of season ticket holders gave up their tickets right now because they would be very difficult to replace since the Jets are bad at the moment. Nobody wants to buy PSLs. And on top of that, most people understand that if they want to go to a Jets game, they can pick and choose whatever game they want on the secondary market. And then they can go and buy that ticket for a lot less than it would cost if they were to have season tickets. So I think that's the reality of what's going on with the Jets right now. If you want to improve your mental health, just accept that that's the truth. The truth is that you either follow the team, hope for the best, and yes, you can complain along the way, but you know that the decisions are out of your hands, or you decide that you've had enough and you're going to walk away at least temporarily until things get better And you decide that, as you said, new hobbies, whatever that means. You want to go to museums. Maybe you pick a different sport to follow. You pick a soccer team you like. You go to some more concerts. You spend more time with the family. Whatever it is, those are really your only options as far as improving your mental health. Yeah, if if, if you're looking to send some type of message to the Johnsons and do some type of boycott, the only thing, like you said, that can really be done is the season tickets. 
That's really it. But it, it, you're focused on your mental health. What I will tell you is this: is I I renounced all my fandoms uh, years ago, and it has helped my mental health and sanity a ton. Now it's uh, interesting because I went and uh, when I started watching the Premier League and uh, getting into soccer, I decided I was gonna pick a team. Uh, not so much for a team to really root for and live and die with, but I just wanted to have one team where I could focus on and I'd make sure to watch them every week and that I could know that team better than everybody else. Um, But I I picked the Wolverhampton Wanderers, Wolves, because I I wasn't going to pick one of the elite teams and hop on a bandwagon. But I enjoy watching some of the better teams of Manchester cities and Liverpool. So I can watch them and I can get excited about it and everything else. Now I'm, I'm not going to sit here and tell you to, you know, renounce your fandom. But what I will say is, you know, I get a second TV, uh, watch the jet game on mute at, at this point in the season, put the jets game on mute. So you're paying attention to it. You're watching it, but obsess over Patrick Mahomes and just enjoy it. Watch Lamar Jackson and just enjoy it. Watch uh, Deshaun Watson and and Russell Wilson and just enjoy it. Um, Allow yourself to kind of just say, okay, this is the team this year I like watching the most, and I'm going to root for them to keep winning so I can watch them play more and more. Uh, I'm not saying that team is going to replace the Jets as your favorite team. You can still have the Jets as your favorite team, but <clears throat> this is a lost season here. So don't live and die with each result each week. Don't put too much into it. And and, and embrace all the awesome stuff going on in the league and just enjoy it. Uh, just dive into it, enjoy it, and allow yourself to get caught up in it. Uh, you, you know, if you go with one of those teams and they win the Super Bowl, you're not going to celebrate like you would if the Jets did. But that's fine, too, because guess what? You're also not going to be as upset and angry about it as you, as them losing as you would if the Jets lost. <clears throat> so I'd say, you know, go to a bar, watch all the other games, get a, have a second TV, throw on the red zone, and just kind of – I'm not saying don't pay attention to the Jets because it's your team. You love them. I'm not telling you to quit it, but shift your attention a little bit and allow yourself to go with something that's just fun and awesome. Next question comes in from Byron. He says, should the Jets consider playing Jamal Adams at defensive end since he's the only one that seems to get to the quarterback with any regularity? (laughs) I'll be honest with you. At this point, I think Greg Williams would probably be willing to try just about anything. Yeah, I mean... Don't do that, though, because the, he, he's got to be at doing what he's doing. Having the big guys up front occupying the blockers, letting Jamal kind of hang around and pick his spot and snipe right through it. Um, but, yeah, just keep doing that and maybe blitz him more. Maybe let him do some things more. But uh, he needs the big guys up front for him and for him to be able to kind of survey the landscape and be like, no, nope, if I go this gap right here is where I'm going to attack. 
Yeah, I agree, Chris. I think the odds of Jamal Adams playing defensive end are pretty low. But if it's a prop that you believe in and you think that it's something Greg Williams might actually consider, you might want to bet on it over at mybookie.ag because I would imagine you could get great odds right now. You can bet on that or a whole bunch of other prop bets and even the games this weekend. And when it comes to the games, I'm really looking forward to seeing what my brother Craig has to say tomorrow because he has been on an absolute roll. Seven winning weeks in a row. If you haven't been taking his gambling tips and trying to cash in on them, you are missing out. You could have been making a ton of money over at mybookie.ag. And here's the best part of betting over at mybookie.ag. If you sign up there and use the promo code OVERTIME, they will match your first deposit up to 50% with the max being $1,000. So the most you can do is $2,000. They'll match you $1,000. Anything below that, 50% of what you put down for your first deposit for your bet, they will match it if you use the promo code OVERTIME. You can bet on the Jets against the Redskins. You can do a bunch of prop bets. As we said, maybe Sam Darnold over under two touchdowns. You can bet on whether or not Le'Veon Bell's finally going to crack 100 yards rushing. Maybe you want to bet on whether or not the Jets are going to have an opening drive touchdown for the fourth straight week, or you may want to bet on the rest of the games around the league. Either way, go to mybookie.ag right now, take advantage of this great offer, use the promo code OVERTIME, and you'll get your first deposit matched up to 50%. The max is 1000 bucks. Mybookie.ag, you play, you win, and you get paid. And if you're going to be betting on this upcoming matchup between the Jets and the Redskins, you may want to be there because unlike Jacksonville and Miami, the Redskins are within driving distance. It's the D.C. area. Technically, it's Maryland, but you can drive out there and have yourself a really nice weekend built around the game if you want. As somebody that used to live in the D.C. area, I can tell you there are always plenty of things to do in D.C. And you give a really fun weekend, not only at the Jets and Redskins game, but going to concerts, going to theaters, going to a comedy show. And if you're going to buy tickets to any of those things, you should do it over at Vivid Seats because when you download the Vivid Seats mobile app and enter the promo code overtime, you get up to 100 bucks off on your very first purchase. That purchase could be Jets Redskins tickets or it could be anything else. We're getting into Thanksgiving and Christmas season, so there are all kinds of great shows going on. The Radio City Christmas Spectacular is coming to town here in New York, so that might be something that you want tickets to. Anything you want, you can use that discount when you download the Vivid Seats mobile app and use the promo code OVERTIME. You'll get up to 100 bucks off on your very first purchase. Next question comes in from Rob Blundy. He says, are you worried that Gase the Usurper will usurp his way into ownership of the Jets? <laughs> <laughs> Probably not. I do want to talk about this a little bit. I think there's this perception that Adam Gase has Christopher Johnson under some sort of spell. And I'm going to be honest with you. I don't know this for a fact, but Chris, I'm curious to see if you agree with my interpretation. I think it's less that Gase has Christopher Johnson under a spell than Christopher Johnson staked a lot of his reputation on not only the Gase hire, but the subsequent pushing out of Mike McCagnan at the behest of of Adam Gase and so I think that his pride is making him really defend Gase and stick up for him I'm not saying he doesn't necessarily believe that Gase is still the right guy but I think there's a lot of that in there too that Christopher Johnson has his pride and even if he believed deep down that Gase was not the guy he's not going to admit it this quickly because then he would have to admit that everything he's done has been a complete and total failure and then he'd have to swallow his pride in a way that most people let alone somebody in his position is not going to be comfortable doing so 
I think there are a lot of people that think that Adam Gase has Christopher Johnson wrapped around his little finger. Maybe that's true, but I get the impression that it's more along the lines of what I was just saying. Yeah, I'm going to go with the poker reference here, and uh, Christopher Johnson is pot committed. Uh, mm-hmm. That that that's what it is at this point. He had he went all in on Adam Gase, especially once uh, he fired McCagnan and brought in Joe Douglas. He is pot committed, and he feels he's too deep into it to pull it now. Now, I would disagree with that because I think uh, I say this all the time. Everybody in life makes mistakes. The bigger pro- the problem isn't making the mistake. It's not identifying it early enough and being willing to move on early enough because sticking with a mistake just to stick with it or just because you want made it and you're pot committed and you want to see this through – it is usually where the things really go off the rails. But it's similar to a GM coach drafting a quarterback, and then they stick with that quarterback because that's their guy. They're tied with him, and they're going to either sink or swim together. They're going to go down in flames together, and that's what it is right now. Christopher Johnson tied himself to Adam Gase, who then tied himself uh, Joe Douglas into it, and he's pot committed now. And he's just sitting here saying, oh, I got to go all in here. Even if it's a bluff, I got to I got to I got to keep bluffing. That's going to wrap things up for the mailbag. We'll have more questions tomorrow. Plus, we'll have the injury report from Dr. Stoller, my brother Craig's picks and a whole bunch more. So make sure you're back for that tomorrow. In the meantime, be sure to follow Chris on Twitter at CNimbly and at Jets Insider. Read his very big deal work at JetsInsider.com. Follow his deputy editor, the president of the Calvin Anderson fan club, Alan Schechter, at Alan underscore Schechter, S-C-H-E-C-H-T-E-R. And for the latest and greatest in New York Jets podcasts, you know where to go. That's Turn on the Jets Digital and turnonthejets.com.